You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Just by way of uh, review, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, Paul basically gave uh, his resume, his pedigree. He told why he was so qualified to be an apostle. He says, if anybody's got a reason to be an apostle, I do. Uh, I've loved you. I've cared for you. I've taught you the word. Uh, And so uh, he goes on in in chapter number 12 to talk about even a heavenly vision that he saw. He he said, I met a guy. I don't know if it was here or was in heaven, but I met this guy and, uh, and the Lord revealed this to me. He said, but I'm not trying to exalt myself. And God humbled me and brought me back to where I needed to be. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're gonna start in verse number seven. Now, this passage of scripture would be probably one of the most uh, famous of Paul's writings in the fact that it deals with something that everyone can identify and relate with, and that is trials and suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number seven, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, There is given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. Paul speaks here in this, this case here of a thorn in the flesh. Uh, many Bible theologians have tried to figure out exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Some had said it was Jewish persecution. Others said it was uh, carnal temptation. Other people said it was uh, epilepsy. Uh, other, other folks said that he had problems with uh, runniness of his eyes and eye problems that he had. Others said he had a speech impediment. Uh, people have talked about migraines and gallstones and just about anything you can imagine under the sun. He said it was a thorn in the flesh. Why don't we have more information? Here's a good place to learn a little bit about the Bible. Because God didn't tell us exactly what it was. So if God didn't tell us, then that means that we weren't necessarily supposed to know. Now let's say, for example, that Paul had migraines. Then this would be automatically be the migraine passage to go to. Everyone who suffered with migraines would run to this passage of Scripture. Let's say, for example, Paul had gallstones, right? Every time you got gallstones, we're going to talk about the thorn in the flesh that Paul was given. Oh, you got a speech impediment. Hey, Paul did too. Let's go to this passage of Scripture and learn about that. But Paul is very general in his suffering. Why? So that all of us can identify with suffering. Every single person in this room has experienced disappointment, pain, regret, suffering. It's just part of life. And Paul speaks of this thorn in the flesh here. I heard a pastor one time talk through this passage of scripture. He said, Paul's thorn in the flesh was a lot like getting a splinter in your finger. When you move it a certain way, it hurts, and you sometimes forget that it's there, and if you leave it too long, it'll get infected. It sounds really cute story in a way to describe that. The word that Paul uses for the thorn in the flesh here is not like a thorn that you'd find on a flower. The word thorn uh, that's that's used here in the Greek uh, language could actually be translated as stake, uh, like a big, long stake that could be driven into your flesh. 
And he's speaking of something not necessarily under, uh, maybe under a fingernail or something like that or, or poking in his skin somewhere. He's speaking of the thorn in the flesh, meaning it was a thorn that, uh, or a stake that went straight to his flesh, his carnal desires, his uh, being as a person, if you will. This was something that was extremely painful for Paul. This was more than just a small thing that he went through. This was more than just a, a small disappointment that he had. Oftentimes, uh, folks will make much of the Bible and the fact of wealth and prosperity. Uh, there's a movement that's uh, called the, the uh, uh, prosperity gospel. And just know there's no gospel in the prosperity gospel. The story of the prosperity gospel is at odds with what the Bible actually says. The so-called prosperity gospel says this, God exists to make you happy. The Bible is the tool to unlock wealth. And when I say wealth, I'm talking about money, like green money uh, that you have. All your hopes and desires can be fulfilled if you unlock the secret code that's found in Scripture. And God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, wise, and happy. And God exists for one purpose and one purpose only, to make you happy. That is a lie. It's completely and totally at odds with the Bible. The Bible says that we exist to please God. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. That God doesn't exist to meet all of our needs. We exist to fulfill God's needs of worship. God created us. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11 says, God created us to please him. That's why you and I exist. That's why we still have breath in our lungs because God desires for our lives to glorify his life. So the idea that uh, the Christian life um, is a, a life of wealth and prosperity is just, is just a, not a biblical idea. The apostles Paul, as he wrote the New Testament, uh, wrote most of the books of the New Testament. He wrote many of them from prison. He wrote many of them while on the run for people who wanted to kill him. Uh, he, was, uh, he would work a job during the day making tents or whatever he could do to put money together to be able to serve God. He was poor by every, uh, every definition of the term. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, was a homeless preacher he, who had no wealth, nowhere to lay his own head. People that wanted to follow him said, hey, where are we gonna sleep tonight? He says, I got nowhere to sleep. I got nowhere to lay my head tonight. So the idea that Christianity is a religion of prosperity that followers of Christ will somehow be wealthy and rich as a result of following Christ is not a biblical idea. But here is a biblical idea for you, and it's not very popular. That's why a lot of times folks don't wanna talk about it. If you live your life in accordance with Scripture, you do what the Bible says to do, you will endure a life of suffering. I said it wasn't popular, but there it is. But let me tell you this. If you don't do what the Bible says, your suffering will be considerably worse. You're gonna suffer one way or another because life is full of suffering. Most of us said that have had children have had to at some point tell our children when they say, hey, dad, that's not fair. We reply with what? Life's not fair. Welcome to adulthood. Welcome to life. Life isn't always fair. Hey, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Because life isn't fair because things don't work out the way that you and I think that they should. They work out in accordance with God's plan. God's plan, unfortunately, is that everyone would endure suffering at some point. Now, God, God is not mean or sadistic in some way that he desires that everyone would suffer, 
It's part of our fallen condition. Because man chose to sin against God, you go all the way back, the way back to Genesis chapter three, the third chapter of the Bible, we see Adam and Eve rebelling against God because they knew better than God did. They went their own way, they did their own thing, and because of that, God judged mankind. And because of sin entering into the world, the Bible says in the book of Romans, that death has passed upon all men now. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, you and I were born sinners. You and I have, uh, have gone against God's rules. You and I have violated God's commandments that we have. And it wasn't just once or twice that we've done that. We do this on a continual basis because we are sinners. Because of our sin, one of these days we'll stand before God and God will judge us according to our sin. Barring any outside intervention, the penalty of your sin, the penalty of my sin is death and hell for all of eternity will be separated from God forever. That's how you pay for your sin. Now, if you don't want to pay for your sin that way, I know I certainly don't, God made a way for someone else to pay the price for you. But that person has to be perfect. That person cannot have ever sinned himself. That person must owe God nothing. And friend, I can't pay for your sin because I have my own sin debt that I have to pay for. This church cannot pay for your sins. Religion cannot pay for your sins. Good works cannot make up for all the wrong that you've done. Somebody has to pay. And so the Bible says that God loves you so much, God loves me so much, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That that was God's way of making a way for you and I to come to him, for you and I to be forgiven of all the wrong that we've done, and for you and I to enjoy heaven for all of eternity because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But you have to make a decision for yourself to put your faith and trust in Christ as your savior. You must decide on your own that you uh, truly need forgiveness of your sins and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I can't do that for you. I wish that I could. But the Bible says, for all those that receive him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God. I had the opportunity to talk with a, a man today after church. Uh, he's been attending our church for probably, I'd say, probably close to 18 months or so. Uh, he he has, was not saved. Uh, he and I had gone through the gospel many times. I talked to him about his salvation many times. And today we were standing out on the sidewalk and I said, what would keep you from putting your faith and trust in Jesus today? I asked him that question probably every couple of months just to find out where his head and his heart's at. Today he said to me, Pastor, there's nothing today stopping me from putting my faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I've got a lot of questions that I don't understand, but I know that that's where faith comes in. And we stood out there today on the sidewalk right after the, the morning service. And he stood out there and confessed his sin before God and asked God to save him of his sins. And here's the good news. God saved him in that very moment. He said, was it in a church service? No, it was after a church service. Well, was it at least in a church? No, it wasn't. It was on the sidewalk. Well, did, what did he say? He said he was sorry for his sins and he needed Jesus to forgive him and he accepted Christ as his savior. That's it. That's the good stuff. That's, that is the beginning of a new life for him. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven, it's as simple as confessing your sin before God and receiving Jesus as your Savior. It's as simple as that. And let me just tell you this. All of us will suffer in life. You can suffer with Jesus or without him. And I've done it both ways, friend, and I can tell you suffering with Jesus is always the better way. But difficulty will come. You have a guy like the Apostle Paul who many of us would look at as maybe being a model Christian. Paul would uh, eschew that title. He'd say, that's not me. I'm, not, I'm not, not that kind of guy. But the apostle Paul embodied many of the traits that you and I want to embody ourselves. But he went through a difficult spot. Sin 
is the cause of suffering in this world that we live in today. You take a look at horrific events like September 11th, you say, how could God allow this to happen? God allows man to make his own choices, and that's how it happened, because man's heart is sinful. You flip on the news any uh, week of the world, that's why I don't watch a lot of news, and you see horrific things. You see people uh, perpetrating horrible crimes against children. You see people extorting and stealing and embezzling. You see folks that are, that are fighting and clawing to get ahead. I, I'm grieved at the racism that I see in our country today. I thought we were better than this, but evidently we're not. Christians, let's be better than that. If you call yourself a child of God, let's rise above that. I'm embarrassed by where our country's at. And I'm not gonna take a side and tell you to, to vote for a certain party. I'm not gonna politicize anything because politics isn't the answer. Christians living in accordance with the Bible is the answer. And that's what we have to do. We've gotta be better than that. We've been called to be more than that. But sin is a result, uh, sin is the cause of the suffering. Suffering is the result of sin. If you don't have a biblical worldview of, of suffering, it, none of it makes sense. Richard Dawkins, a, a famous atheist, uh, wrote in one of his books this, the total amount of suffering per year, per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. The viewpoint is this. Hey, good things are going to happen to good people. Bad things are going to happen to bad people. And sometimes... Bad things happen to good people and there's nothing you and I can do about it. At the end of the day, we're just on a rock in the middle of space just trying to make it day by day. Some people get lucky, other people don't and we're just gonna have to deal with it. None of this has any meaning. None of this has any purpose. I would like to think that my life has some sort of purpose to it. I'd like to think that there's someone behind the scenes that's orchestrating everything for my good and for the greater good of those around me. I'd like to think that my life doesn't just mean nothing, that we're not just here to, uh, to live and die and go on with life. I'd like to think that we're made for more, and the Bible says that we are. So what's the purpose of our suffering? We'll take a look at that here tonight. When it comes to suffering, we can have really probably uh, three different responses to it. When suffering comes, we can try to avoid it. We can try to find an easy route. We can try to find some way around it. Nobody likes to suffer. Suffering isn't enjoyable. And maybe we can find some way to get out of it. I go to the gym Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. And sometimes we go in and we, we take a look at what the workout is for the day. And I look at it and I just shake my head and go, oh, I don't want to do this. Uh, one workout this past week was 150 burpees. I looked at that and I said, I so do not want to do this ever in my entire life, right? And I think to myself when I walk in, I think, first of all, did anybody see me? Can I go back out to the car and go home and get in bed before anybody calls me out? I think to myself, would anybody judge me if I only did maybe, uh, you know, 75 burpees instead of 150? I don't know. But here's the thing, nobody likes suffering. Nobody would choose to go through this. And even when it comes to difficult times in life, we try to find some way around it. Is there some way that I can avoid this altogether? Next, when suffering comes, we can try to get through it quickly. We can say, hey, I just need to know what I need to do to get over this and, and move on and be done with it. 
So we can try to avoid it. If there's no way to avoid it, hey, let's watch the fastest exit from this. What is the quickest way to get around this so that I don't have to hurt any longer than I currently do? You see, Paul asked for the thorn in the flesh to be removed three times, he says. Thrice he asked for God to remove it. I don't think Paul prayed once in the morning, once at lunch, and once at night, and that was his three times that he prayed. I think it was three seasons of prayers. Now, I don't really have anything to back that up. I just think that Paul, when he says he asked the Lord thrice, three times to remove it, I don't think he asked for it three times in the same day, I think. I think he probably went through periods where he was uh, troubled by it and he asked God to remove it and God didn't, so he dealt with it for a while, but he came back to it again and again. But we see that Paul went back to God during three seasons in prayer asking that God would take this away. Let me just tell you this, when trials come, when difficulties come, when seasons of suffering come, the very first place you should run is to prayer. Oftentimes it's the last place. We hope that we'll never have to actually pray for that. But prayer is where the power is found. You see, prayer doesn't necessarily remove suffering, but it does drive us to the source of grace. Paul asked God three times to remove it, and three times God said no. Now, mind you, if this is not God not answering prayer. God always answers prayer. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's just not yet. But God always hears and God always responds in accordance to his plan for our lives. And just because we pray doesn't mean our suffering is gonna go away. Just because we ask God to change our circumstances doesn't mean he's gonna change them right away. God does things in accordance with his plan. I can't tell you how many times I've asked God to extend the life of someone who's ill and they died anyways. I can't ask you how many times I prayed that God would save someone uh, who's near and dear to my heart, but God didn't save them from their sin. I can't tell you how many times that I prayed for somebody to get a job that they didn't get. I can't tell you how many times I uh, prayed for a family situation to be mended that didn't get mended. I can't tell you how many times I prayed for a marriage to stay together that it didn't stay together. Does that mean that God doesn't hear our prayers? No, it just means that God has a different plan. And you and I many times try to, I don't know about you, but I try to figure out God's plan. Well, maybe God didn't do this because he's gonna do that. Or maybe this happened so that God could do this over here. God doesn't work in the same span of time and space that you and I work with. God has a greater plan. We would say that God is sovereign in the fact that God knows the beginning from the end. God doesn't allow anything to happen by accident or coincidence. God has everything perfectly planned out from eternity past to eternity future. And what's happening in your life right now is just a small blip on the radar of God's massive plan for all of mankind. So when God doesn't answer our prayers right away the way that we want, don't lose heart. Don't think that God's forgotten you. Don't think that God has, doesn't know where you are. Don't think that God doesn't care any longer. Just know that God has a plan that's greater than anything you can fathom on your own. But don't make the mistake of just trying to find the quickest exit out of your suffering. God has a plan in your suffering. I've seen this happen too often. When suffering comes, we can lie down hopelessly in it. I've known people who have allowed uh, their suffering and their hopelessness to become their identity. This is just who I am. This has consumed me. This uh, defines who I am as a person. Whether it's someone that's done something against them or something that didn't go their way, they allow that to define the rest of their life and who they are. And they lie down hopelessly in their suffering, content to never find joy again, to never find victory again, to never find God's grace again. They're, this is just who they are. Don't allow yourself to be there. 
But know this, God has a plan in your suffering. He doesn't do anything by accident. God wants to make you stronger. God wants to strengthen your faith. God wants to use you in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trial to make you stronger, to make you better, to give him more glory. There's a plan in it. Don't just quit. Don't give up. There's joy ahead. Here's what we have to do. When suffering comes, we must run to the grace of God to endure it. It might not pass quickly. There's been seasons of times of suffering in our life that have lasted months before, probably closer to a year. We didn't have the answers that we wanted, that things weren't going the way that we wanted them to, but we just had to believe that God knew what he was doing. And let me just tell you, he always does. Every single time, God knows what he's doing. So Paul says, I asked God three times to remove it, but he didn't. But you know what God did tell me? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, if you're a child of God, if there's been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, if you did what that man did today and you confessed your sin to God and asked him to forgive you, he extended to you his grace, his undeserved favor. And God gives us grace at the point of salvation and he gives us his grace every single day to live the life the way he's commanded us to live. And friend, if you're going through a trial, you need God's grace, you need God's undeserved favor, you need God's power, you need God's encouragement, you need God's help through this and it's readily available to all of those of us that would ask when God declared to Paul in his answer to prayer my grace is sufficient for you he affirmed the total sufficiency of his grace for every need in life to believe the gospel to understand and apply the word to all issues of life to overcome sin and temptation to endure suffering disappointment and pain to obey God, to serve him effectively, to worship him. God's grace was sufficient for the deepest pain Paul or any other believer could experience. God's grace is enough. I know there's times where it might feel like it's not enough. You need something more. Just know God's grace is always sufficient. If you're a child of God inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Bible tells us in uh, John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit is the comforter that God resides in you in the form of the Holy Spirit to comfort you, to help you, to guide you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't even know what to pray. Have you ever been so overcome with grief? Have you ever been so smitten by your own suffering that you sit down to pray and you don't even know what to say? You wanna pray, but the words just don't seem to come out. You wanna talk to God, but you don't even know where to start. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit communicates to, uh, to God on behalf of us, the Bible says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Like you sit down and you don't even know what to say, but the Holy Spirit's got, got your back. And the Holy Spirit can pray on our behalf for us. You have inside of you God himself living. You have every resource at your disposal to make it through this time of suffering. When suffering comes, we can endure it knowing that there's a greater joy ahead. When suffering comes, you can know that it won't last forever. Even folks that are faced with terminal illness, their suffering won't last forever. There's a day that uh, God will take them home and there's a greater joy ahead. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where the weight of my suffering was so heavy, I didn't think I could bear it. I didn't know that I could go on. I didn't know that I had the resources just to get out of bed in the morning and make it. And then the funny thing happened, a couple of weeks down the road, 
You forget all about how bad it was in that moment because of the joy that was ahead. You couldn't see it at the time. You didn't fully understand it. When people would say, it'll get better or you can make it through this, you couldn't fully grasp what that looks like. But when you're past that trial, you can see, oh, I see what God was doing back there. I don't know about you, but but for me, many times in my life, hindsight's 20-20. You can look back at trials that you went through and you're like, okay, that makes sense. I see why I had to go through that now. I see what God was doing through that. I see a greater benefit that God brought in my life as a result of that time of suffering that I went through. When pain and suffering come into our lives, we often see that not only are we not in control of our lives, but we never were. Jesus says this, which one of you by worrying can add one inch to his height? Is there anybody in here that could worry so much that you could grow an inch? He says, no, you can't. You're not in control of your life. You don't have control over what happens to you. God does. So we can worry, we can fret, or we can trust in the promises of God. We can believe that God's ways are perfect and that he understands things that you and I can't possibly understand on our own. That he is faithful, he is powerful, that he could do anything in the world that he chooses to do and he chooses to be our strength during this time. Friend, if if you're going through a period of suffering, just know that it's meaningful. God has a plan and a purpose for your suffering. He always does. He doesn't do anything by accident. I would challenge you with this tonight. And again, you might be sitting here going, Pastor, I think everything's good right now. All this talk of suffering doesn't really apply to me because everything is golden right now. Take really good notes because in a few weeks you're gonna need this, okay? It's just how it goes. You think everything's fine? Some of you will need this message by the end of the week. Some of you are living here right now and just eating this up because this is where you're living right now. Some of you are, are on the way out of a trial and you're looking back and going, oh man, there's so much truth there, but just take good notes. Many times in my life, I've been tempted to try to skirt the trial. I've been tempted to try to find the quickest exit. But now when we go through times of difficulty and stretching, I pray, God, would you help me not to waste this trial? Would you help me to steward this in such a way that I maximize everything that I need to get out of it? God, would you help me to take this trial and squeeze every drop of wisdom out of it to make myself better and to make myself stronger as a result of it? Suffering's difficult, but it always has a meaning. Final thought here tonight. God's power is manifested in us through our weakness. (laughs) <laughs> if you take a look again at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number nine. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly will I therefore rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul says, you know what the best thing about me is how weak I am, how frail I am, how short I fall of how good God is because that gives God the opportunity to shine. You see, when you and I go through periods of suffering in life, this is God's opportunity to show himself strong. Have you ever gotten yourself into a situation before when you pray and you say, God, you're gonna have to work this out because I've done everything I can at this point. God, you're gonna have to show up in a big way because I know nothing else to do. That's, I believe, when God sits back and says, all right, and he begins to roll his sleeves up and go, I'm getting ready to shock you. Let me go to work. 
And God gets the most glory when you and I can point to him as the only source of what made things happen. I, I had a blast last, uh, last Sunday celebrating five years of what God's done in our church. But you know what? It wasn't a matter of, hey, look at what we've done. It's a matter of, look at what God's done. It's a matter of, look at how small we were and how we really, really didn't even know what we were doing how uh, we were just a group of people who believed that God could and we got together and God gets the glory from it. The people were saved, baptized, and discipled over the last five years here and all we did is really just show up and be faithful to what the Bible said to do and God did the rest. To see God bring us through things like the building that we're seated in tonight, this, this building was more than we could have done on our own but God provided again and again and again and showed himself strong and we got to say we are so weak but our God is so incredibly strong. We're seated here tonight because of God's grace, every single one of us. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James uh, chapter one, if you would. We're gonna take a look at one last passage of scripture before we're done here tonight. If you've never read through the book of James, I'd encourage you to read it. You can read it uh, all in one sitting. So much wisdom and power found in the book of James. James is a highly practical book. It talks about relationships and uh, how we deal with them and uh, the words that we say and the, the thoughts that we think. James starts off James chapter one, verse number two. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect, entire wanting nothing. The word perfect doesn't mean that you and I will be perfect. It means that we'll be mature. It means that we'll be grown up. We'll act like grown up Christians instead of baby Christians. You know how that happens? By going through difficulties. He says in verse number two, count it joy when you go through difficult spots. The next time something really bad goes on in your life, would you say, God, thank you for this because this is an opportunity for you to get glory through my life. We look at that and we go, that's crazy. Why would anybody thank God for difficult times? Why would we thank God for suffering? Because this gives God the opportunity to shine in our lives. I'm telling you this, friend, when you go through times of suffering, people will watch. People wanna know what your response is. They wanna know how you're gonna handle it. Do you really believe what you say you believe? You call yourself a Christian, are you gonna lean on God during this time or are you gonna go your own way and do your own thing? You see, trials and temptations are meant to show you what you really believe in. Trials and temptations, difficulties, suffering will expose you for who you really are. And trust me, I've seen it both ways. I've seen folks who come to a period of suffering and the first thing that they do is they blame God. They get mad at God. They quit. They drop out of church. They don't want anything to do with their faith because God let them down. God disappointed them. God, they prayed and God didn't come through for them, so they bolted. But the flip side is, is more beautiful. When people come to times of trials and they go, God, I don't understand this, but I believe that you're good. God, I wouldn't have chosen this for myself, but you've chosen this for me, so I'm gonna give you glory through this. I'm not gonna look for a way out, I'm gonna look for a way in. I'm not gonna look for the quickest exit, I'm gonna look for ways to get as much wisdom from this as possible. I'm not looking for a way to be weaker, I'm looking for a way to be stronger. And God, I'm gonna lean on you like never before through this time of trial. And I'm telling you this, on the other side of it, they're better, they're stronger, and God gets more glory and that's the purpose of trials. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. It was very painful for him. We don't know what it is. No, honestly, it doesn't even matter. But we will all go through a time of suffering. Some of you are right in the middle of it right now. You don't know which end is up, but let me just tell you this. God's faithful. He'll see you through it. 
He has never let us down and he never will. God has a track record of faithfulness that is 100% every single time. And don't think for a split second he'll let you down. Will it work out the way that you want it to? Nope, not always. Think about it this way. If God listened to you and did everything you told him to do, would he still be God? No, you would be. If we had our plan and God had to adhere to the plan that we had, God has to follow the steps that we ordain. He wouldn't be God, we would. But we must submit ourselves to God. God, you know how to get me through this because I don't. But I trust you and I know that you'll see me through it. Let me challenge you with this tonight. If you're not currently in a trial, just know you're gonna go through one soon. Just be ready. It might last a couple hours. It might last a couple of months. It might last a couple of years. But know this, you're getting ready to go through one if you're not currently in one right now. If you're in the midst of a trial right now, would you dig in deeper? Would you commit to setting your roots deeper? Would you commit to dropping anchor in the hope that's found in Jesus Christ and allowing him to be the anchor of your soul? Would you draw on the promises of God's word like never before? Because I promise you he's faithful. If you're in a trial or coming out of a trial, I'd encourage you to keep a really good journal. Don't forget how faithful God's been. Don't forget how, how good his grace is. Don't forget. I had a, a guy reach out to me that I haven't talked to in probably uh, several years, lives on the mainland. He uh, sent me a Facebook message the other night out of the blue. He said, hey, what time is it in Hawaii? I hate texts like that. I hate emails like that. I hate Facebook messages like, what time is it in Hawaii? Let me just help you. In the future, you can always go to Google and you can type in, what time is it in Hawaii? And it'll tell you right away what time it is. You don't have to ask questions like that. And I said, it's eight o'clock. I said, what time is it there? He said, it's one o'clock in the morning. I said, man, pretty late. What are you doing? Mind you, I haven't talked to this guy in probably four or five years. I said, well, you know, what, what's up? What have you been up to? Nothing. We chit-chatted for a while and stuff like that over Facebook Messenger, which I absolutely hate. And I said, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. You want to give me a call? And he said, no. Okay, great. I said, we'll continue this awkward Facebook conversation. Um, we began to talk a little bit. And I said, and he, I said, you know what? What keeps you up late at night? And he says, going through some marital issues right now. And come to find out his wife had been unfaithful uh, with another guy. And marriage was falling apart. And he's got kids. And he didn't know what to do and stuff like that. And I was thankful that he reached out to me. Or at least he thought of me when he, when he was going through this difficult spot. And I told him this. And I said, I said, I want you to do things this week that you'll be proud of five years from now. Because when we go through trials, we want to automatically self-destruct. I don't know why that is. Uh, whether we want to self-medicate in, in one way or another. We want to do things to get somebody back for what they've done to us or be ugly or something like that. I said, do things this week that you'll be proud of five years from now. Secondly, I want you to lean on God like you never have before. Third of all, I want you to read the Psalms every single day. And, and Psalms are my go-to in, in times of trial. Sometimes when people say, I'm going to read the Bible because I'm going through a difficult spot, and they'll start like Genesis. All the Bible's good. Please don't get me wrong. All the Bible's good. But if you're going through a trial, the book of Genesis probably isn't the place to start. I've known other people. I did this one time when I was a, an immature Christian. I didn't really know anything much about the Bible. I went through a trial and I read the book of Job. The book of Job is incredibly discouraging. Don't read the book of Job, okay? 
For, the, for those of you who don't know, Job goes through uh, a time where he loses everything in his life. Loses his wife, his kids, his cattle, his wealth, everything. Uh, and he has some friends that come along that say, Job, you're a loser. You need to repent and get right with God. And he says, no, I am right with God. They say, no, you're not. You're a liar. So everybody's against Job. And at the end, God has a conversation with Job that you think would be really encouraging. It wasn't. It said this, Job, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm in charge. Just let me be in charge. And Job said, okay. It, it wasn't really helpful to me during that time. I was just like, wow, that didn't make, that didn't help at all. But you know what you'll find in the Psalms? You'll find some really gut-level honesty there. Some of the Psalms, the psalmist will say, my God, my God, has thou forsaken me? Did you forget where I was at? How long will I cry to you and you not hear me? And you know what? I identify with that. I've prayed before and I think to myself, God, did you forget where I'm at? Did you forget who I am? Did you forget what I'm going through? Then the next day you'll find the psalmist on the top of a mountain. God's great. He's a fortress. He's my strong tower. He's my buckler. He's my help in time of need. And then you, you flip two psalms over and he's crying his eyes out again. It's just this up and down. I identify with that. The book of Psalms has 150 psalms. It was, it's a book of poetry. It's a book of wisdom. Uh, it was a song book for them. They would actually sing these when they got together for worship together. It's so poetic. It's so beautiful because it identifies with human emotion if you're going through a rough spot, read the book of Psalms. If you read five Psalms a day, you could read the entire book in, in, in a month. And I promise you, you'll be helped by it. But I told him, do things you'll be proud of four or five years from now. Lean on God like you never have before. Read the book of Psalms every single day and pray. It's my advice to anybody who's going through a difficult spot, and I promise you this. You'll fast forward, and you'll see that God's been faithful. Now, how far do you have to fast forward to see that? I don't know the answer to that, and you don't either. We just have to take it one day at a time, trusting God day by day, leaning on his grace, leaning on his mercy every single day, and I promise you he'll bring you through it. Know this, if you're going through a trial, me as your pastor, I wanna know that. My job as your pastor is to pray for you, to guide you, to encourage you, to help you through times like this. If you wanna sit down and talk through whatever you're going through, I'd be happy to do that. Ladies, she'd like to sit down and talk to my wife. She'd be more than happy to do that with you. But what you can't do is you can't quit on God and you can't go through this alone. He's faithful. He's given you people around you that love you and care about you and pray for you every single day. Lean on those things that he's given us. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that if you died that you would go to heaven, please take care of that before you leave tonight. Because when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you and that's the strength that you need to make it every single day. But the most important thing is you might make it through this life without Jesus, but at the end of this life, You'll be separated from him for all of eternity and nobody wants that. Jesus loves you too much to allow you to go to heaven, to go to hell. So he died on the cross that you could spend eternity with him in heaven. If you don't know that for sure, please take care of that tonight. Please see me after the service. I'd be happy to open the Bible and share that with you tonight. But for those of us that are children of God this week, let's live with eternity in mind. Let's live believing that God is able and trust him above all else because he showed himself faithful and we can always trust him.